Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number six of We Didn't Start the Fire. I want to be really honest up front and say that this is my first time completely producing on my own. Um, I William was very kind, my brother, to insist to come, but I said, no, it's a skill I really want to learn myself. So I'm in the studio all by myself. It feels so strange. Um, So please be kind. And my other brother who normally assists is in LA. So fairly, uh, fairly good reason not to be here. Welcome. It is already October the 12th, which is crazy. Um, Yeah, I can't believe it. The year's going so quick. So tonight we – oh, thanks, William, just a sound check. That's great. We are actually diving into a topic of my own choice and it is JonBenet Ramsey. So this is a topic that I'm – I found really fascinating myself but it's also a topic that lots of people could – uh, enter because they knew a little bit about it, a lot about it. Um, people had different theories and different understandings, uh, but I thought I would sort of unpack what I know about it and what I've researched and we'll go from there. So I did ask some people at work, uh, what do they know about this case? Um, and they did um, share some different things. Everyone does remember this case. It did happen in 1996, um, but it's interesting. It's still a case that's unsolved today. So you can form your own opinion. I'm going to present several theories as to what actually happened and, well, you make up your mind. All right, let's get straight into it. Firstly, I wanted to start off by saying that I was going to do an episode on the Donna party tonight and that is in relation to the Oregon Trail. The reason I chose not to do that is because it is about cannibalism, but I did have some really interesting chats about that story. So if that's something that you're keen on, let me know and we can have a chat. Um, I have, you know, this is a, a community radio station and I wanted to make sure that I was presenting palatable um, content and I just feel that was a step too far. All right, here we go. So Jean Benet Ramsey. Uh, This all occurred in Boulder, Colorado on Christmas night. I'm going to give you a background. I'm going to actually read the ransom note that came from this and then we're going to go into some theories. But I will just remind you that this case unfortunately hasn't been closed. It's still open after X amount of years. Oh, one more thing. Sorry, I feel like I'm a little bit all over the shop because it's I'm all, all here by myself. I've got no one to remind me. Um, the studio phone, if you're keen, is 0493-213-831. I do have my personal phone on me. If you're interested in um, maybe sharing what you know about this case, what your theory is, what actually happened – If you don't know what I'm talking about, I must sound really annoying to you at the moment because I just keep going on about theories and cases. But basically, Jean Benet um, was a six-year-old girl who was brutally murdered in America. They uh, haven't found her killer yet to this date. So it's bizarre. It's a really bizarre and mysterious case. And when I go into detail, you'll know what I mean by that. But 
um, yeah. All right, here we go. So, Jean Bonnet, uh, as I said, in Colorado, they she comes from a very wealthy family. So, Dad was a businessman. His name was John Ramsey. Uh, Patsy Ramsey was mum. She was a former beauty pageant and a high societal woman. They had two children, Jean Bonnet, who was six, and Burke, who was nine, and they also had an older half-brother that doesn't live with them. Now, Jean Bonnet um, is unfortunately known f- as being an American child beauty queen. Uh, so, un- unfortunately, all the photos of Jean Bonnet uh, of her in all her makeup with her hair and everything like that. So, um, although she was only six, in all her photos she does look a lot older and that's just, um, I guess, the, you know, that comes with being a beauty pageant. Her mum was very insistent on her doing all these beauty pageants and obviously at six she doesn't um, lead them herself um, but that's how she spent a lot of her time was preparing and training for these beauty pageants. Uh, So Patsy Ramsey, a bit about her, she was just around this time just cleared of stage four ovarian cancer. So this Christmas particularly was a time of celebration in their family. They had plans on Boxing Day to go to their cottage in Michigan. Again, really wealthy family, so they were going on a nice holiday after Christmas. Christmas Day was as usual, opening presents. John Bonet actually got a bike and she spent the day riding it up and down the street. They went to a family friend's place for dinner and they had an early night. They would be getting up early and heading to Michigan. They all go to bed that night, business as usual. Between 10pm and 5.30am, Jean Bonnet was brutally murdered. So, what happened? Patsy wakes up at about 5.25am, knowing that she's got a busy day of packing and heading to the cottage in Michigan. She walks down the staircase and sees a three-page letter and very quickly realises it's a ransom note. It's placed on the bottom of the staircase, which is interesting placement because generally if you're leaving someone a note, it can be on the bench or, you know, on the table. It's not really um, the bottom of the stairs, uh, which sort of gives a bit of an idea that the person who left it knew that it would be seen there, knew that it would be possibly the first place that, um, Patsy comes down in the morning to see. There's a there's um yeah a bit a bit in that one. Um, this house was huge. The house they they lived in. There was 18 rooms. Um, yeah, and it was just a bit calculated to put it on the bottom of the staircase. The ran- ransom note was on stationery that belonged to the Ramses, and they also used one of the family's pens. They're very specific details, but um, they do paint a bit more of a picture for us, particularly trying to figure out who did it. The ransom note was one of the strangest notes, um, you know, that have ever been studied. Uh, It was a three-page note and it was handwritten. And if you think about how long three pages are, oh, thanks, Ella. Ella just texted in saying she remembered and then listening. That's so great. Thank you, Ella. That's amazing. if you think about how long it would take someone to handwrite three pages of notes, 
particularly when they were writing such emotive words, um, it's really interesting, especially if someone's trying to leave the house quickly before someone wakes up. The note was not directed and it was to the point. It felt like someone is trying to cover their tracks. And it strangely had quotes from old movies. So an example is, if we catch you talking to stray dogs, she dies. Don't try to grow a brain. And this is actually from a movie about kidnapping. Now, I have actually got the note, the ransom note, and I'm going to read it to you. I will remind you there is some really interesting sayings in here and I'm not going to unpack them. I'm just going to read it for exactly what it is. Here we go. Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed, and if you want to see if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. 100,000 will be in $100 bills and the remaining 18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate bag to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you earlier to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence an earlier pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instruction will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter's he- will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement, countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good southern common sense of yours. It is up to you now, John. Victory. S-B-T-C. Well, there you go. A a ridiculous length for a letter that, you know, you'd think someone would be writing in absolute panic and trying to get out of the house quickly. And just a note about the amount. So it was stated that they would like $118,000 in exchange for Jean Bonnet, and that was the exact amount that Jean Bonnet's dad got for his Christmas bonus, which makes you think it's really, um, yeah, that, that puts a lot of ideas into your head. Somebody 
surely would know that. It's it's someone that would know that amount from him, uh, you know, a work colleague, a close family friend. Yeah, very interesting. Um, all of a sudden, Patsy screams for John and shows him the note. I can only imagine she skimmed through it. She probably didn't take it in properly. Patsy checks Jean Bonnet's room and immediately calls 911 at 5:30 a.m. I'm actually going to play you the call that she um, that she did to 911, um, just so you sort of it will help paint a picture again. Here we go. Last little bit of audio, um, you didn't probably didn't hear it, but it's just um, Patsy saying, help me, Jesus, help me, please, over and over. Uh, there is an extra bit of audio that I'm not going to play because you won't make anything out, um, but I'll explain what that is soon and it, it forms a really big clue in this case. So it's interesting the note, um, and this is sort of a bit of an ick, um, the note talks about calling tomorrow, waiting by the phone and get plenty of rest, which is just a really weird thing to care about someone's well-being, pr- to pretend to care about someone's well-being while doing something so sinister. At 5.55am, the first officer arrives. Patsy was in hysterics and we we can't judge and, and I'm trying I'm trying not to be biased here. We can't judge how someone reacts in an extreme state state of trauma, but Patsy invited heaps of her friends over. That was her first move. She wanted people to calm her down and support her. So the police come in and they start gathering information. And it's um also I guess important to note that if you think about firstly, one police has arrived and then all of a sudden 18 different people from different houses arrive to the house as well and then other police arrive, it's just setting yourself up for a failure which uh, important to note that the police that attended the scene, the very first police, 
it was like her first week on the job. She had never, ever been involved in a kidnapping, a, a murder, anything of this sort. It was a really sleepy town as well, really quiet, and it was Boxing Day, so just after Christmas. So there wasn't a lot going on with the police um, force, I guess, at that time. So straight away, you know, 18 18 friends and police officers come in and the crime scene is immediately tampered with and from all accounts is now invalid. Um, They're comforting Patsy and, you know, I guess figuring out what you do when you comfort someone, a few of the friends start cleaning the Christmas Day mess from the kitchen, again wiping away the evidence, potential evidence, Uh, and they waited for the phone call, which I just – there's quite a few hours between um, 5.30 and 12.30 and if, you know, being in that extreme – extreme state again again of trauma like that would have just been incredibly I can't even imagine every minute would have felt like an hour and the fact that they waited like it's I don't know there's a lot anyway after 12 30 they they got no phone call police had prepped them in terms of what to say to the person if they do get a call and and you know what they should be doing but but unfortunately nothing happened And so all police leave except for Linda Art. So she was extremely new. She had no experience. And she decided, believe it or not, after, you know, six hours, almost six hours more, hey, now that it's quiet, why don't you check the house to see if something's missing? You know, if there's someone clearly broke in and intruded, let's go and check out the house. And they hadn't done that yet. Mm, I'll leave that there. And during the time of, you know, the friends there and people cleaning and uh, the police sort of asking questions, Linda observes John's behaviour. Now, John's the dad and he was checking his mail. He seemed quite calm. This is from all reports. I said I'm trying to stay biased non-biased sorry (laughs) he was not looking for clues um and so okay he agrees to check the house and he goes into the wine cellar he finds the body of his daughter in a white blanket she had tape around her mouth her wrists were tied and he picks her up and walks her up the stairs quite calmly he puts her down on the kitchen floor he drapes another blanket over her body and they ask Linda, the policewoman, is she dead? And she confirms that, yes, she is dead. So people say that that reaction from him was quite strange just to pick her up and not really react. I mean, these are all accounts. He might have reacted. Like, you know, we just don't know. But the reports sort of say that he didn't. And something else proves this further on. So... I'm now going to go into a little bit of what happened to Jean Bonnet and that's physically and there is a trigger warning. So there is physical violence and sexual violence that I'm about to talk about and if if you're not in that space, um, please turn it off for about 30 seconds and I'll be done. Um, I do only, I believe, refer to the violence in this way um, in this section here. 
before I do that, sorry, I'll just mention Linda, the policewoman. Um, this was her. This was her quote. So. JonBenet had marks all over her neck, face, she had blood on her and she had been brutally murdered. Linda said, when I saw JonBenet and the way he was holding her, referring to the dad, she thought, I think this man killed this child. She said it was very strange to hold her so close to the body. Linda immediately counted how many bullets she had on her. She had a feeling something bad was going to happen and was fearful that they might kill her. What happened to JonBenet? She had a massive fracture fracture on her skull. It was eight inches wide, uh, long. Her ultimate cause of death was actually strangulation. It was a, sort of an old-fashioned um, weapon that was made with string and rope with a wooden block and it was actually fashioned with Patsy's art supplies. They found her own... Mm. Here we go. Sorry. They found her own fingernail marks. Um, She was trying to fight it and get it off her neck. And the strange thing is, is 45 minutes to two hours later from the first blow to her skull was actually when she was strangled. So this was a long drawn out process, I hate to say, um, for this little girl. Um, But that's sort of what they, um, that's the timeline they've found. There was sexual assault caused by weapon, um, not a person. If that, um, I'm not going to go into detail, but it was caused by weapon. The strange thing was there was no evidence of a break in. Within 24 hours, this was front page news worldwide. Obviously, I was two at the time. I don't. I didn't know about the case live I guess I'd say but I do you do see things on TV and videos that pop up um a couple of years ago there was a a documentary and you know 60 minutes and and people every couple of years look back into the case and reflect and and share the the clues and the learnings that we now know Basically, um, straight away, the police and detectives got onto the case and the media got involved. There was a man called Lou Smith and he was a detective. He spent his entire life over 200 cases. Um, He spent his entire life, sorry, um, on these sorts of cases. He worked on over 200 cases and he never left a case unsolved. He was from Colorado. He had a 90% success rate. And he, he actually came out of retirement to work on on this case with his family. He just felt a connection to them. Um, he felt that there was talk that it was the f- mum and the dad and he didn't feel that was right. So he got to work on it straight away. He worked on the case for 10 years. So whatever happened, whoever did it, um, they did it in such a way that they've been able to remain unidentified, which is pretty crazy. Like these, you know, these things don't often happen that they just go unsolved for so long. So he came along and questioned, have we looked for signs of an intruder? All of a sudden the theory comes out. The theory was that Patsy got enraged that Jean Bonnet wet the bed and actually ended up murdering her because of it. 
So this was a headline, like, you know, crazy mum, like just really awful. And obviously people want an answer. So they're happy to settle for a theory that's presented and they find, they feel that is credible. So the police wanted to test this theory. They looked at JonBenet's PJ pants and her bed sheets. Her pajama pants were soaked in urine, but this happens when you die. So it doesn't really give away if it, you know, when it, it doesn't d- tell us much at all. JonBenet also, she would have also been terrified and we know that that can be a response in that moment as well. But evidence showed that that night she did not actually wet the bed when they looked at her sheets and things like that. So Lou Smith, he was the first one to notice that there is a sign of a break-in in the basement. The ground level of the house is kind of like a – there was a kind of like a cage on the outside of the house. And if you think back to American movies, like you sort of – I hopefully you get what I mean. It's kind of like it was like a cage attached to the house that had like the ventilation in it. Um, anyway, it was that someone came in, basically broke the glass and got inside. He demonstrated how it was possible to break to break in through this large vent. So there was enough room for a, a human and and even a man to get through. The break-in, the only signs they had was there is a mark of something on the wall. It looked like a footmark, but they can't really make it out. There was also a suitcase propped up by the window. Lou Smith thought this was for the killer to get back out, so something to step back down on from the jump from the window. But they found a footprint on the suitcase that was unidentified. There was a footprint right next to JonBenet's body in the wine cellar, but... Strangely, there was no footprints in the snow that led up to the window. Unidentified DNA, um, no family member, um, there was no, no, yeah, it was just unidentified. Uh, There was a fingerprint, there was DNA found on JonBenet's fingernails and her underwear. In the early 90s, the technology was not so great and... It was such a small amount of DNA that they couldn't identify who it was, but they could identify that it is a male. Could it be her father or brother? So this was the sort of the new theory once they got this DNA. Patsy was now sort of off the hook. Let's have a quick word from a station ad. Hi, everybody. This is Wit from Spiderbait. When I'm passing through Karam, aside from slowing down to 50 kilometres an hour and reminisces about doing the Eel Race Road Rumba or the Watley Street Wiggle, I like to tune in to Radio Karam and get down with the good vibes. Uh, Mark, it's Wit from Spiderbait here. Uh, are, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Uh, are you Are you talking to me? No. What I said is, are you talking to me? <laughs> I chucked in an extra ad because that's my dad. That's my dad's ad. Are you talking to me? He does every second, every Thursday night that I don't do. <laughs> All right. Back to it. Oh, I get to turn the page. This is my last page of notes. <sighs> so this case was taken to trial. The jury is focused on the ransom note. They feel their most evidence is there. The D's in the note looked like the mum's D's. Interesting that there was, there's only ever mention of one D like that 
the letter D looking like her handwriting. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. Uh, they looked – they also suspected and, you know, analysts analysts came in and they said that it looks like someone is trying to shake as they write the letter. There were spiderwebs on the corner of the window and they were perfect and had not been disturbed. But this doesn't say a whole lot because spiders can make their webs really fast depending on time of year, depending on which spider it is. So although that was somewhat of a clue, it wasn't overly um, valid really. The jury voted that it was the parents. So Lou Smith, Studied and studied and studied this case and he spent a lot of time looking at her injuries, which would have been a really awful thing to do. And he notices two things that no one had seen before. He notices two identical marks on two parts of her body, one on her neck and one on her lower back. They were two dots spaced out about three inches apart. He starts researching weaponed wounds and finds out that those marks are from a stun gun, which makes you, it sort of, yeah, makes you wonder who has that handy? Questions over the parents um, doing, you know, uh, sorry, there is also a question over the parents hearing the murder and people came out and said surely they would have heard it. There would have been screams, you know, the house isn't that big. So they tested the scream. They tested it. Can someone hear the scream from the fourth floor? No. But strangely the neighbours heard a horrifying scream at this time. All of a sudden um, an, another vent was noticed that made it quite clear the audio um, coming from the wine cellar. So that sort of added in another element. Lou Smith theory was that she was tasered so that she was silent and potentially the, the killer planned to put her in the suitcase for an actual kidnapping. Possibly did uh, Jean Benet get tasered and then uh, he wrote the note while she was silent. But she didn't fit into the suitcase. It didn't work. He panicked and then killed her. Parents were never arrested. They were interrogated a year and a half after her death. So, uh, yeah, that's just – I find that really interesting. They were very much so in the media as as it was the parents and and it still is um, up in the air about the parents obviously. But – for a year and a half to pass uh, is is just crazy. So, uh, where are we? Um, it, sorry, yeah. Another, uh, parents were indicted. They were accused of permitting a child to be in a dangerous situation and assistance to murder. Fast forward a few years. Um, in those few years not a whole lot of developments came out. So they finally, now that they've invented some new technology, they did another round of DNA testing on Jean Benet's PJs. Two men show up. So now it's two. Some people, this is, this was really disturbing. Some people came forward and said that they did it. And I just don't even understand 
what game that is. Obviously, these people aren't well, but, um, you know, I, I just don't understand that. Including a local Santa. Lou Smith at this stage is getting sick with cancer and on his deathbed he asks his family to continue working on this case. His granddaughters actually have a podcast called In the Victim's Shoes. Can't find an answer. So Lou Smith did pass away and the case was left unsolved. A few years ago, another media storm comes out and says that it could have been her brother, Burke Ramsey. So if you um, recall at the start of the the start of the paragraph, start of the episode, I spoke about there was three children. Jean Bonnet was six, Burke was nine, and there was an older son that that um, I don't mention because he doesn't come up in this case. So Burke was nine. In this meantime, Patsy died of cancer, and John had actually remarried. Some pieces of evidence that back up the claim that the brother did it. So Burke Ramsey. Pineapple was found in Jean Bonnet's stomach. So that was actually Burke's favourite snack. And it was when it was found in her stomach, it was hardly digested. It was probably had very soon before the attack. One conclusion is that Jean Bonnet had a midnight snack. They found her fingerprints on the bowl from um, on the bowl and also Burke's fingerprints on the bowl. There's a torch right next to the bowl. He said, don't eat my pineapple. He might have come across her and sprung her. And then he hits her on the head with the torch. And one of the most interesting pieces of evidence that still don't really finish it, finish the, close the case, sorry, is that when the 911 call happened, they trace it back to hear it, two voices. Um, so you hear Patsy and you hear the responder, but you also hear um, – oh, actually, I don't know if you hear John. I think you hear John sort of just in the background. But there is an ident- unidentified third voice of a child. And obviously, as I said, over time, technology has been invented. But this is what they they've found was actually said. So Patsy – is said to have said, said to have said, what did you do? Help me, Jesus. And then John says, we're not speaking to you. So it's said that Burke sort of tries to figure out what's happening and says, you know, what's going on? And then he's met with that. What did you do? Help me, Jesus. And John saying, we're not speaking to you. Parents claimed that Burke was asleep during the phone call too, which just adds like there's clearly a, a child's voice on there, that phone call. So I don't know why that they said that. That just confuses everything. People then turned on Burke and said the brother did it. She was He was jealous of the attention and her looks. People, you know, psychologists have, have put it down to the fact that Patsy and John were thinking we've just lost one child so that maybe they came across Jean Bonnet being murdered or dead. Um, and we can't lose another, so we need to cover it up. There's a Dr. Phil interview of Burke Ramsey and he's giggling throughout it. People do call him strange, but it loses its credibility in a way when 
like think of the life that he's lived, you know, think of what he's seen in the media and the memories he has of his sister and all these sorts of things. Um, Like you can't blame if he isn't, you know, if he's acting a bit differently, you can't blame that um, on the childhood he's had. A family friend of the Ramseys actually came out and said, I agree with the theory Burke Burke killed JonBenet, but I don't think he meant to. Patsy did everything to keep her living child. I think she wrote the ransom note while John staged the scene in the basement. After calling the police, Patsy called her friends and in the commotion, Burke went missing for an hour to hide the evidence. Was it that Burke hit her too hard? And there was, the two, they believe, the two-hour later time of her actual death might have been the time that the family decided what to do next. There was also an idea of what if dad did something shady, what if the dad did something shady. There was a blackmail threat. Jean Benet dies as a cause of this, hence why the parents reacted to it all, almost trying to not minimise it, but I don't know. So what do you think happened? Um, I did ask as I said, my work colleagues today, and I just said, what do you know about it? And um, one of my beautiful colleagues is from America, so it was really interesting to hear her take and um, she was telling me it was obviously just the talk of um, talk of the town and it, it was everyone knew about it and um, the, the brother – you know, uh, uh, she she knew about all the theories and and a few of them stuck around and yeah. But what do you what do you think happened? It's very interesting. I don't want to give my idea. However, I do think I feel like that um, unidentified voice in the and the technology they've used. I feel like that's possibly the most powerful bit of evidence they've got, to be honest. Um, the the note has obviously been analysed over and over, but they still can't really seem to find an answer. So there you go. That is the tragic case of JonBenet Ramsey. Um, and it, gosh, what, what an awful thing to happen to a six-year-old girl. I mean, it's happened to anyone, but um, it's just really sad to think that, you know, the day before she was riding a new bike up and down the street and un- unbeknownst to what was about to happen to her. All right. So that concludes episode six. Uh, I This will be the last episode for the year. Um I've got a few things going on for those who might not be aware. I'm getting married. I've got my hen's day. I've going on a honeymoon. All really exciting things. I'm also working on another project on the side uh, that will um, be revealed in due course. Um, And, yeah, there's just a bit going on and it might not seem like it but (laughs) hopefully it does in a way. But um, these episodes take ages to – to write because I have to fact check and you sort of have to really use brain power on them. Um, and also it's coming up. I just remember it's coming up to a report writing time. Mm. So uh, with those things combined, 
However, I will be doing a Christmas special about the history of Christmas. <laughs> That's something that really interests me and something I don't want to miss. Um, but I'm not even going to announce a date because I don't even know. I will just see. It's all the end of the year is just blurring into one for me. Um, and I can imagine other people are feeling the same. So when that comes, yeah, it'll come. All right. Well, thank you if you decided to tune in. Um, if you did, please feel free to let me know your thoughts and, and what you think and maybe you know another theory about it, which I'd be interested to hear. But have a great rest of the year. Oh, my goodness. 2024 is actually really close. Um, it's scary. Um, but, yeah, thanks for tuning in. And next year we'll start back off with um, the song We Didn't Start the Fire and then we'll, we'll move into the year from there. Thanks, everyone. Bye.